on November 27th, 2016 at 12.08 p.m. My wife and I's lives were changed forever, I think in a good way. Uh, it's a moment that we had prayed for and waited for for quite some time, and it's the birth of our first child, Sutton Jude Snyder. Uh, she was born, like I said, at 12.08 p.m., and she was, uh, well, let me say there were some complications right at birth, and I'll save that for another sermon illustration at some point, but uh, once the dust kind of settled and uh, the nurses had left the room um, and, and she had cuddled with mommy and taken some pictures, um, I helped the nurses, the delivery nurse, measure Sutton, right? So we got her head circumference and her weight and her height, and um, she was 7 pounds and 11 ounces. I remember that only, literally, I don't remember my other kids. I only remember that because I love 7-Eleven and Slurpees, so I just remember that. I also remember she was 21 inches. In the first service, I said she was 21 inches tall, and my wife blasted me like, you can't say that. But the reason is because I tried to, like, make that into a number you guys all understood. Because when I told people how tall Sutton was, I would say she was, or when people asked the numbers, I said, well, she was almost 8 pounds, and she was one foot nine. Like, why would I say she was 21 inches? It's not like I go around saying I'm 71 inches, right? I say I'm, like, 5 foot 10, 5 foot 11, somewhere in there. And so I just go around and say she's 8 pounds and... One foot nine, ready to go, right? What's crazy about the first year of life with kids, maybe you've had kids or maybe you haven't, but um, they, a lot of crazy things happen in that first year. I mean, a lot. But one of the craziest is how big and how fast they grow. Uh, here's a picture of Sutton when we took her home from the hospital. Uh, so cute and beautiful. Um, and she didn't stay that, that size for long. <laughs> in fact, by the time she was one years old, she had gained like 13 pounds and grown about 9 or 10 inches. We couldn't remember exactly. Um, but here's, what I, here's, here's what's crazy. The, um, the, the, the rate at which kids grow in that first year. I did the math calculation this year, and it took way longer than it should have. Uh, but I was distracted trying not to work on this sermon. But if by, she continued that rate of growth by her fourth birthday, she would have been 468 pounds. And no one needs a 468-year-old pound, uh, <laughs> sorry, a 468-pound four-year-old running around, right? It's crazy how fast they grow. Joking aside, on the other side of things, there are some children that are born and uh, in the first year of life, they're diagnosed with a diagnosis called failure to thrive. And failure to thrive at the end of the day means that they have uh, their height and their weight are in the third and fifth percentile of kids their age, similar kids. And uh, so what happens in those moments is a team of doctors or a, a doctor and a team come around, the, the parents, and they try to figure out what is causing this failure to thrive. Maybe it's malnutrition. Maybe it's reflux. Maybe it's allergies. Maybe it's something even a little more severe than that. Hello. Uh, but whatever it is, they get together. Trying to make sure that doesn't happen again. Uh, they get together and they try to uh, eliminate the thing that is causing the baby from thriving or from growing at a normal type rate. Thriving in a medical sense is a natural condition of human beings because we're meant to grow and we're meant to thrive. Physically as little kids and even as we grow older, we still develop. And, uh, and, but it's true of our physical bodies, but it's also true of our spiritual beings. God made each and every one of us in his image to grow, to thrive, and to flourish spiritually. To move forward in our faith, in our spirituality. God made us so that we would 
grow closer to him. That's why our mission, like Alan mentioned a moment ago, is to here at Outer West, is to draw people closer to Jesus Christ and to each other. No matter where you are in your relationship with Jesus, it's our hope and prayer that you would, through our church services and small groups and life groups and short-term groups, that you would grow in a deeper, more significant relationship with Jesus every single day so that you would live a flourishing life. God wants you and I to love someone tomorrow that we can't love today. God wants sin to have less and less control over our life through the years. God longs for us to share our faith in a way that is more uh, effective, more efficient. We would share our faith. It would almost ooze out of us. We would talk about it everywhere we went. We should share our faith more than I talk about CrossFit, which is a lot, or more than I talk about Nikola Jokic and the world champion Denver Nuggets, which is a lot. The bar is high for us, and God wants us to grow and tell other people about our relationship with Jesus. So among other things, at the end of our lives, people might say of us, that person, man, he wasn't perfect, and she wasn't always the greatest. But there was no doubt that through the years, through the decades, they seemed to be growing and drawing near to Jesus with every single step of their life. If this is your first time, we're glad that you're here, as Alan said. And we're wrapping up a sermon series on the parables of Jesus. Over the last six or seven weeks, we've been looking at parables, which are these stories that Jesus told time and time again throughout his life. And these stories had a deeper, more significant meaning than what was just below the surface. And we're going to look at another parable today that will, I think, challenge or encourage every single one of us, no matter what your relationship is with Jesus, to draw closer to him. Today's parable will be found in Matthew chapter 13. You go ahead and turn there in your Bibles if you'd like. We have free Bibles in the back if you want. If you don't have a Bible um, or you just forgot yours, and we'll also put the verses up on the screen. What's in, well, right before where we're going to pick up today, where we're just going to jump right into the parable in verse 3 of chapter 13, uh, there's a couple of verses preceding that. And what we know that's happening is, is Jesus has uh, come to the shore of the Sea of Galilee. And there's a large crowd that's gathered around him, both his disciples, but also people that are learning about him or want to hear his teaching and be inspired by him. And there's so many people, it says, that he gets into a boat and kind of pushes off from the shore. And there's this natural kind of acoustics that happen from the sea onto the shore. And so all these people could hear this story. And this is what Jesus says, verse 3, chapter 13 of Matthew. It says this, a farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seeds, some fell along the path, and the birds came up and ate it. Some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched, and they withered because they had no root. All of us here in San Antonio know what we're talking about right here. This scorching sun is just coming down and killing everything, our grasses, our flowers, our plants. Some of you wonder why I wear short pants. It's not a fashion statement. It's just because I'm a, I'm a warm-blooded creature, and so I'm just trying to catch a little breeze on the ankle, stay a little cooler. Right? Jesus says, other seed fell among thorns, which grew up and choked the plants. Still, other seed fell on good soil, where it produced a crop 160 or 30 times what was sown. So Jesus tells this story 
about seeds and soil and plants. And uh, what I mentioned a few weeks ago when I was preaching on a different parable is that most of us didn't grow up on a farm. Most of us didn't grow up in an agricultural setting. There are maybe some of us, but we may lose the, the meaning or the impact of this story because we don't just hear it and automatically know and put ourselves into the story that Jesus is telling. But it'd be like as if Jesus came in 2023 and he was telling a story that would be relevant to all of us here at Outer West Community Church. Maybe he would tell a story about football. He would talk about the starting quarterback and the starting safety, and he would talk about the, the playing conditions, the field, the grass. Is it artificial? Is it natural? Is it a dome or is it uh, open to the weather elements? And we would know as he's telling this story that while on the surface there's this cool little story that he's telling, there's something below the surface. And we could immediately, as his listeners, know what he was intending for the story to mean. All these Elements in the story are there for a reason. And again, we may not fully understand them in 2023, but I want to spend a few moments looking at each one of the elements and then unpacking what I believe is our, the posture of our hearts in our relationship with God as it relates to one of the elements in the story. So there's these three agricultural elements in the story. The first is the farmer. The second is the seed, and the last is the soil. The first I want to look at is the farmer, or some translations of the Bible call it the sower. We don't get much information on this person other than we know that it's a male. Jesus says that it's him. It doesn't talk about whether this man has a farming background, whether he's a city slicker. It doesn't talk about if he has a green thumb and could make anything thrive and flourish, or if he's like some of you that went to the Women's Connect event yesterday, made a succulent, and it will be dead by the end of the week. We don't know much about this sower. But we do know that it's one consistent person throughout the story. The person doesn't change. The story is not about the sower. It's not about good sowers or bad sowers. The, story, the, the sower in this story represents the men and women through the ages who have followed Jesus and told others about the good news of Jesus. While some of our methods of telling others about faith may change, you and I remain constant in our commitment to sow the seeds of faith are paramount. We next see another element in the story, the seed. Again, Jesus doesn't really unpack the seed. We don't know what types of seeds this farmer is, 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 is sowing. <laughs> are they grape seeds? Are they wheat seeds? Are they corn seeds? We don't know. Are they genetically modified in some lab somewhere? Are they certified natural organic seeds? We don't know. But the story is not about the different seeds, about good seeds or bad seeds. As a matter of fact, the seed which Jesus intended to represent the word of God in the story, the gospel, the good news available for all of us, it will always bear fruit if you let it take root in your heart, if you give it a chance. Which leads to the last element of the story, the soil. The one thing that does change throughout Jesus' story in fact, it changes four different ways. The first type of soil is what Jesus refers to as the path, which were these dirt paths that ran near and around the fields that farmers or family members or even animals would walk upon. And so you can imagine with the amount of foot traffic in that day and age and with the weight of the animals that the soil in the, in, on the path would be rock hard. It would be solid. It would be difficult for the seeds 
to penetrate. So he says that the seeds would have a difficult time growing in there. And so as a result, the birds, like after a wedding when you throw seeds up, like the birds are going to come and just have a heyday. They're just going to eat all the seeds. They'll never have an opportunity to go below the surface and to grow deep. Jesus then describes the rocky soil. And I like this because perhaps what he's referring to is the type of soil that we find in San Antonio. There's maybe one or two inches of nutritious uh, soil that, you know, is, is ripe for plants to grow in. But then just below the surface, a couple of inches, is that dreaded limestone, right? Whether your shovels or hit it and you can't dig past it, or maybe it's the plants that are growing roots and it gets one or two inches below the surface, and in a search trying to find nutrients and water and vitamins, it hits that limestone and then it can't grow deep, and the sun, which is scorching, comes and withers the plant away. Then there's the thorny or the weedy soil, where perhaps seeds had the perfect conditions. The perfect amount of sunlight, the perfect amount of shade, the perfect amount of water, the perfect topsoil. But then we don't know if the farmer knew it or not, but there was weeds in the distant or in nearby. And the weeds, just like dandelions or thistles or crabgrass in your yard and my yard, they grow and, and, and they start to choke out the healthy plants that were growing. The soil, Jesus implies, has a direct impact on whether or not the seed can take root and begin to grow and thrive. The last soil that he talks about, which we'll talk about near the end of the message today, is the good soil, where it's just perfectly ripe. And Jesus has a thing or two to say about the blessings and the, the uh, amount of crops that will grow. Basically, you true gardeners and you want to be gardeners, we all know this to be true. Everything hinges on the health or the unhealth of the soil when we're trying to grow grass or plants. And the soil, just below the surface in this parable, the soil represents your heart and my heart. Not our physical hearts, but our spiritual hearts and the different types of conditions that we can find if we were to actually look at our hearts through a microscope. And it's not hard to understand why Jesus was emphasizing the, the soil or the hearts in this story. The soil of our hearts are just like the soil of the fields. It can either promote and support growth and thriving, or it can prevent growth and cause stagnation. As if to drive this emphasis on the heart home, Matthew, who wrote this gospel that we're looking at and recorded this story that Jesus told immediately following this, this parable, says that the, the disciples who were Jesus' closest followers come up and they, they just ask him very plainly. They say, Jesus, why do you talk? Why do you always speak to these people in parables? Jesus, this is kind of odd. I mean, you have all these people gathered around, so much so that you can't even stand there. You had to go off the shore in a boat. And, and why don't you preach the gospel? Why don't you tell them what they need to believe? Why don't you teach them some theology or some tactics on how to defend their faith when they're questioned? And we don't have time to read it. You can go back and read it later this afternoon. But Jesus responds by quoting the Old Testament, Isaiah chapter 6. He says he teaches this way because people there then and people now have hard hearts and resist the truth. Says that some people can see the truth, but they don't actually want to see the truth. Some people can hear the truth, but they don't actually want to hear the truth. 
They set up defenses to keep the truth and the voice of God out of their lives. And I wonder how many of us have set up the similar types of defenses around the soil of our hearts to keep the voice and truth of God out of our lives. If we're honest, I think most, if not every one of us, are prone to tune out, to minimize, or to just flat out ignore the voice of God. And we have a lot of different ways that we do that. But tuning out the voice of God will lead to stagnation, will lead to a failure to thrive in our spiritual life, which I promise if we've experienced stagnation in our spiritual life, we'll experience stagnation in our physical, emotional, and mental lives. And that's not the type of life that God wants for us. He wants us to have a flourishing, fruitful, thriving life. And that starts with, as Jesus talked about time and time again with the stories that he told, that starts with our hearts. It starts from the inside out. We ask God to change our hearts and everything else around us will change. With this parable, Jesus invites us to do a little bit of a soil analysis. Now, I know some of you have actually done a soil analysis of your garden or your grass. I guess this is a thing you can actually do. You can, like, dig up a piece of uh, soil, and you can either send it off to a lab, and they'll test it for the right nutrients, whether you have the right nutrients or you're lacking the right nutrients, or maybe you have too many of the good nutrients or bad nutrients. Some of them come with a kit that you put some chemicals in, like some drops, and it will come back and tell you if your soil is the right thing or the, uh, if your soil is the, is the best or if you need to add some supplements. And all this is so that we can be the alpha dads on the block with the greenest grass, right? So we can grow the ripest, reddest, biggest tomatoes so we can share it with a friend someday. I don't know, but it would be amazing if we could do that with our spiritual lives, right? Like, hey, just set up this easy payment plan, four easy payments of $19.99. You send a piece of your spiritual heart off, and we'll tell you what you need to do or what you need to do less of so that you can draw closer to Jesus. That would be amazing if we could do that, but we can't. But what we can do is look at this parable, this story, and ask God to help us do a soil analysis of our own hearts with no other purpose than to live a life that's flourishing, and growing fruit in a relationship with God. To help with this soil analysis, I'd like to look at the types of soils in a little more depth that Jesus talked about in the story, and then compare them to normal ways or postures that you and I have hearts in a relationship with God. The first type of soil that Jesus described in the story was the hard soil of the path, near the farm near the crops. And most of us, if we're honest, we can relate to this hard soil, this hard surface, because honestly, we have hard hearts. Now, first and foremost, there's no shame. There's no judgment in this, because I think most of us actually have hearts that are hardened, and that's not always the worst of things, because life happens. You get hurt. You learn from your past, and so you put your guards up. It's not necessarily a wrong thing. Maybe you were hurt by a, a, a relationship with a sibling or a parent or a spouse or a coworker, and you're holding on to bitterness and resentments. It makes sense. And our brains and our, our bodies and our beings are smart. They're not dumb. You only touch the stove, the hot stove, one time, hopefully. 
unless you're a boy and you don't learn well. And so you touch the stove multiple times. But we've been hurt, and so we subconsciously or maybe even consciously put up walls and don't let other people in. But there's a difference between touching the stove and being hurt, which we're not made to do, and loving others the way that God calls us to love them. If this is you, you can relate to the hard heart. I think we have an incredible opportunity in front of us this week and beyond to ask God to make our hearts a bit softer, a bit more tender. Perhaps if it's safe, you have an opportunity to go back to the person that hurt you and prayerfully say whatever it is that you need to say to heal the relationship and make things right, to do your part in making amends. That may not mean that you're best friends again or you talk or you text all the time, but it means that you've forgiven that person. Or maybe if you hurt that person, you ask for forgiveness from that person so that the soil of our hearts can be softened. Maybe you had dreams that were crumbled, never fulfilled, hopes that were never realized in life. And over time, a shell has grown around your hearts. You become cynical. You believe the worst in others and their dreams and their passions in life. You're suspicious and you have a hard time trusting. You have a hard time being grateful for the things that you do have, the people you do have in your life. Maybe some of us have legitimate trauma in our past, which has caused your heart to harden. And there's real physical and emotional reasons why your heart and your body and your brain have reacted in this way. It's to protect you. But I think you know and I know and we can admit that going through life with a hard heart, numb to the emotions of life, is leaving us or will leave us stagnant over a longer period of time. And it's not the life that God wants for you. So maybe your response this week is to be honest with yourself before God. Maybe it's to tell a safe person so you're not carrying this alone. It's a heavy burden to carry alone. And maybe it's finally time to go back to a therapist or for the first time go see a therapist. Maybe for some of us, there's so much shame in this, but maybe for some of us we need to go to that therapist so that we can get on some medication that would help balance out our brain and our hardwiring so that we can live a fruitful, flourishing life. We're not the type of church that's just going to tell you to start praying and stop thinking and stop doing this. There are some of us that actually need to go see a therapist and potentially get on some medication, and that's okay. In fact, we have a list of counselors on our website, outerwest.org care, with people that will help you walk through this in a Christian, God-honoring way. If you do this, don't do it alone. The next type of soil that Jesus uses to challenge us is through the example of rocky places. The seed that takes root in the shallow soil and then begins to grow roots, but then hits the limestone of San Antonio. Because the plant can't grow and gain the proper nutrients in the soil, it's scorched by the heat. And some of us, as we complete a soil analysis this week, we may find that we have shallow hearts or shallow faith. Maybe you've never taken the time to make your parents' faith or your dad's faith your own faith. Maybe you've just show up to church for an hour on Sundays and call it good, but there's no real evidence of seeds taking root in your life. There's no fruit being barren in your life. And if I'm honest, it seems like this kind of shallowness has invaded the modern church, especially here in the Bible Belt. People who go to church, 
and have every appearance of a real love and devotion to God, but have no spiritual depths in their heart. Jumping from one spiritual activity to another with great enthusiasm so it seems like you have it all together and you're growing in a deep relationship with Jesus. Seem to have the right Christian answer, the right Christian thoughts, the most eloquent prayers, but there isn't evidence of fruit in your life. Probably because our hearts, our faith, are shallow. There's a couple of dangers with this type of shallow faith. The first is it can really damage the reputation of God, of Christians, of the church. And don't get me wrong, God is bigger than any one of our mistakes, but what about the coworker who knows that you love God, but then finds out that you've been talking poorly about them behind their back? What about your neighbor who sees your Outer West Community Church sticker on your car, but then sees the parties that you have on the Sunday? Or what about this, your nephew who sees on Facebook all the Bible verses and Jesus posts that you put, but then knows how you actually feel and how you actually treat the marginalized in society? Another danger of a shallow faith is when trials occur in our life. I'm not talking about the type of trials like you didn't pass the test, you didn't get the job, you didn't get the parking spot at Target after church, whatever it is. We're talking about the big disappointments, the big failures in life, the phone call that you hoped that you would never get, the miscarriage, the shattered dreams. It's normal to doubt God in those moments. But I'd suggest that a shallow faith won't withstand, won't sustain you through these difficult moments in life. And so Jesus invites us through this story to do a spiritual soil assessment. And when we realize that our hearts, our faith is too shallow, invite him in to help you penetrate the surface and destroy the rocks so that you can grow in a deeper relationship with Jesus. Jesus then highlights the seeds planted in the thorny soil. Maybe the actual soil uh, around it was perfect. As I mentioned before, the, the, the shade and the sunlight was perfect. The amount of water and moisture that it had was perfect. But there's these weeds nearby that will eventually grow over and snuff out the plants the soil of our hearts is just like planting soil. If it's crowded with weeds, if it's, if it's surrounded by things that are vying for the ultimate attention and affection in our life, the weeds will eventually take over and snuff out the seeds. The seeds in our heart, the seeds of faith will begin growing, but the clutter will take it over and all you'll be left with is a weed patch. And here's the thing about weeds. I know a thing or two about them in my yard, constantly battling them. They rarely go away on their own. It's not like weeds one day say, well, we've done our job here. Let's go on to the next yard. They get worse if they're not treated properly. They'll take over more and more territory. And so it's time for you and I to do some weeding in our hearts, eliminate some weeds in our life. Ask God, what is the thing that's vying for my attention the most? What's the thing that's asking me to love it more than I love God? Maybe it's the weed of work, of success, and it's choking out the spiritual life in you. It's hard to have a spiritual life, a growing spiritual life, when all you're doing is working and all you're thinking about is work. 
Maybe you need to cut back on your hours. Maybe you're overextended financially and it's choking out your ability to be generous joyfully with others. You're constantly worried about money and finances, and that's okay a little bit. That's called stewardship. But when, it obs- when we're obsessed over it and it's taken over our life, it's difficult. And it will take over and snuff out the seeds of faith in our life. Some of us are way too overextended in our family lives. Between school and sports and community opportunities, your children are signed up for way too many things. They never get a break, and you as a parent never get a break. You could open your own parent taxi service. For real, we might actually need to take one or two nights a week and say, we're not going to do anything these nights. We're just going to get together. We're going to watch a movie or play board games together as a family. Because at the end of the day, let's be honest, our kids aren't going to grow up to be Cal Ripken, are they? But we do hope that they grow up to love and serve Jesus. The people in Jesus' day had a deep understanding of planting seeds. And they knew what it was like to sit back and enjoy a ripe harvest. In those days, one seed might, yield a, uh, might get a yield of 20 or 25 plants. One little seed might produce 25 grape plants. But Jesus ends this parable with the fourth type of soil. The good soil, he says. It wasn't too cluttered. It wasn't too hard. It wasn't too compacted. It was simply good. And it says, and Jesus says that it's there that seeds thrive. And he speaks of a harvest of 20 or 30 or 60, even 100 fold, far more than any one of us can imagine. One little seed with the right conditions in our heart, Jesus says, won't just return a normal crop. It'll thrive. It'll flourish. It'll grow beyond our wildest expectations, our wildest dreams. Band, y'all can come on up. You and I were created in God's image. We were meant to thrive. We were meant to grow. We were meant to expand and flourish. Just like my daughter in those first few months of her first year of life. God doesn't want us to sit stagnant. He doesn't want us to fail. He doesn't want us to not see the harvest of our prayers in this life. He invites us through this story into the parable so that we might consider for a moment the conditions of our heart to do a true soil analysis. Imagine if we actually took this parable serious. Imagine if you went home and you did a true soil analysis of your heart. Looked at the conditions of your life and of your heart. You might not love it. You might not tweet what you find. You may not be proud of the habits and the rhythms that you have in life. And it might hurt for a week or two or even longer as you try to soften the sea or the soil of our hearts. But imagine a heart that's softened by the love of God. Imagine a heart that allows for the seeds of faith to grow deeper in your heart. A heart that's free of weeds, of distractions. A heart that's free of things trying to fight for the ultimate affection in your life. Jesus says he will multiply that type of faith far beyond anything you can imagine. Might it be true of your life 
of my life, of those that will be baptized today. Might it be true that we would have soft hearts together and allow for the seeds of faith to grow deep and true and ripe so that we would see fruit in our life, fruit of faith and commitment into loving God and others. Let me pray for us. God, thank you for these parables, these stories that have a deeper meaning, a deeper significance. Thank you for the creativity that you showed and demonstrated by sharing these stories through your son, Jesus. And God, thank you for this short but powerful parable about a farmer and seeds and some soil. It's easy to just skip over what it's about, but God, might we take it serious. Might every one of us, whether we're still figuring out faith or we've been following Jesus for a really long time, might we actually take this serious, do an assessment, an analysis of our heart, and invite you and your spirit to challenge us and encourage us so that we could bear fruit in this life. We pray these things in Christ.